At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Howdy, everyone. If you enjoy the show, join our free Discord. Link in the description and chat with the cast. Please leave a review and consider joining our Patreon for behind-the-scenes content and more. Tears start at a dollar, and even that helps us out. To stay up to date with episode releases and more, follow us on Twitter at Riftway Podcast. Good evening, Rifters! This is Rifts and Rules, the 5e D&D podcast where we go through the many 5e books and talk about various rules to enhance your gameplay experience. I'm Remy, Dungeon Master and a player on the Riftwake podcast. I'm Mitch, a player on Riftwake and a D&D enthusiast. And today's topic is Shield Guardian. And this was actually inspired by Emilio on the Discord. And this is something that y'all can do at any time. Join our free Discord. I am always happy to chat D&D, and it very well may inspire an episode like today. Are you familiar at all with this creature? <laughs> Not in the least. Not at all at all, or just not, or just not super familiar? Not at all at all. Hmm, Except for what you told me about two minutes before we recorded. <laughs> all right. So this is a creature that has been around for, you know, the entirety of 5e. It even is in the basic rules at the very start. But it is a large construct. So we are continuing this week's construct theme, continuing on from Golems on Tuesday. The Shield Guardian has a few unique differences from the more standard golem. Particularly the fact that it has a better connection to just either its owner, creator, what have you. So I actually did mention on Tuesday's episode that there was mention in the Iron Golem for an amulet that let someone besides the creator have control of it. But rules as written has no information about such an item. The Shield Guardian, however, has that information, which is real, real nice. So I'll be getting into the details of that a bit later on after I talk about the creature itself. So let's just go and start right off with the actual creature. The Shield Guardian is a large construct with 17 AC, 142 hit points, and a 30-foot speed. 
Now, one thing that does also separate it a bit from golems is that a shield guardian is a good bit smarter. So most golems only had an intelligence of three. It was mentioned that they are pretty much automatons. The shield guardian, however, has an intelligence of seven, which makes them one point smarter than my former character, Morris. So that is low intelligence for a human, but that is a sentient creature. Now, also, unlike the golems, it does not have the extensive list of immunities. It is only immune to poison damage, but it does still have a bunch of condition immunities as well. Charmed, exhausted, frightened, paralyzed, and poisoned. It does have a 60-foot dark vision and a 10-foot blind sight, which is real fucking useful if you do have someone invisible or just very, very stealthy trying to just sneak, ar- sneak up on or sneak around. And it does only have a CR7, so it's not a super powerful creature, but honestly, this is among the more useful creatures in the game. And that is a very bold statement to make, I know. But particularly because of some traits that it has. First off, Bound. The shield guardian is magically bound to an amulet. As long as the guardian and its amulet are on the same plane of existence, the amulet's wearer can telepathically call the guardian to travel to it, and the guardian knows the distance and direction to the amulet. If the guardian is within 60 feet of the amulet's wearer, half of any damage the wearer takes, rounded up, is transferred to the guardian. That is insanely good. So if you have the amulet for a shield guardian and you take 30 damage from, you know, a good dice roll for a fireball, you will only take 15 of that and then that will instead get transferred to have that other 15 taken by the guardian. That is really, really fucking useful especially if you also consider that the Shield Guardian has 142 hit points, so it can just soak up a decent amount of damage. However, that is made yet better by the second trait that it has. Regeneration. The Shield Guardian regains 10 hit points at the start of its turn if it has at least one hit point. Do you notice any difference between that regeneration and other creatures with re- regeneration, like, say, a werewolf. Or uh, a troll, for example. I don't really know the mechanics for any of those, so no. Okay, so honestly, troll is probably the creature with the most famous regeneration, so I'll use that as the comparison. So the troll regains 10 hit points at the start of its turn, but it doesn't regenerate if it takes acid or fire damage. The Shield Guardian, on the other hand, will regenerate as long as it has at least one hit point. So it does not have a weakness to stop the regeneration. Unless you manage to take the Shield Guardian all the way down to zero hit points to death, it will regenerate at the start of its turn. Period. So again, when you consider the combination then of Bound and that regeneration, Well, that's a pretty goddamn potent combo. So, again, 
there are a lot of interesting strategies that you could actually, I'll, I'll skip the strategies until I finish reading this stat block. I'll, I'll get back to it. The third trait the Shield Guardian has, spell storing. A spellcaster who wears the Shield Guardian's amulet can cause the Guardian to store one spell of fourth level or lower. To do so, the wearer must cast the spell on the Guardian. The spell has no effect, but is stored within the Guardian. When commanded to do so by the wearer, or when a situation arises that was predefined by the spellcaster, the Guardian casts the stored spell with any parameters set by the original caster, requiring no components. When the spell is cast or a new spell is stored, any previously stored spell is lost. That is fucking amazing. So if you were to have a more attack-oriented shield guardian, you could just store a fourth-level fireball, for example, and just have that blast out whenever you just command it to or whenever you do set a situation for it to get set off. On the other hand, you could also just have an emergency heal sort. So let's just say that you put a fourth level cure wounds into the shield guardian if you are, let's say, a cleric that has the amulet of the shield guardian. So you store the fourth level cure wounds and you can have the trigger be just when you command it to or if I drop to zero hit points. So that way, if your healer does go down, then the shield guardian will be the backup to get the healer back up to get back on their feet with a fourth level cure wounds. So 4d8 plus their spellcasting modifier, that is a decent quantity of healing. And again, when you do consider the fact that the shield guardian also does take half the damage of the cleric, having a healer with a shield guardian is a massive force multiplier in terms of just keeping your healer on their feet. Uh, but even besides all the actual abilities it has, it's actions. So first off, it does have multi-attack to make two attacks. Uh, it does not have a weapon, but just uses its fist to punch for 2d6 plus 4 bludgeoning damage. So pretty respectable amount, but it's definitely not the attack powerhouse that the Iron Golem is, for example. However, it does also have a reaction to shield. So when a creature makes an attack against the wearer of the Guardian's amulet, the Guardian grants a plus two to the wearer's AC if the Guardian is within five feet of the wearer. So if the shield Guardian is standing next to its master, then as a reaction, it is able to grant you an additional plus two AC? That is massively helpful. And a plus two extra AC can relatively frequently actually turn a hit into a miss. So that is a. So again, if you have a shield guardian, you are far, far more likely to survive because of the shit or damage, because of the regeneration that it has, because of the fact that it just is another creature on the field to soak up attacks that aren't going to hit you now. And the fact that it can use this reaction to shield you for that extra 2 AC. A shield guardian is built for keeping its master alive. And that is a good transition now to talk about the actual description below the stat block of the creature. Wizards and other spellcasters create shield guardians for protection. 
A shield guardian treads beside its master, absorbing damage to keep its master alive as long as possible. Master's Amulet. Every shield guardian has an amulet magically linked to it. A shield guardian can have only one corresponding amulet, and if that amulet is destroyed, the shield guardian is incapacitated until a replacement amulet is created. A shield guardian's amulet is subject to direct attack if it isn't being worn or carried, has 10 AC and hit points and immunity to poison and psychic damage. Crafting an amulet requires one week and 1,000 gold in components. A shield guardian's solitary focus is to protect the amulet's wearer. The wearer can command the guardian to attack its enemies or to guard the wielder against an attack. If an attack threatens to injure the wearer, the Contra can magically absorb the blow into its own body, even at a distance. Spellcaster can store a single spell within the Guardian, which can then cast the spell on command or under specific conditions. Many a wizard has been rendered helpless by enemies, only to surprise those foes when its shield Guardian unleashes potent magical power. Magnificent Treasure Because a shield Guardian's ownership can be transferred, by giving its matching amulet to another creature, some wizards collect exorbitant sums from princes, nobles, and crime lords to create shield guardians for them. At the same time, a shield guardian makes a mighty prize for anyone who slays its master and claims its amulet. And of course, as a construct, it does not need air, food, drink, or sleep. So, that is the stat block and description of the shield guardian. Mitch, what do you think? I don't want to fight it, but I like it. <laughs> On the other hand, the fact that it is transferable. Could you imagine a fight where a party is fighting against a magic user with a shield guardian, and now you actually do know about this? Like, let's say someone rolls a good arcana check to know about how this thing works. So you have the situation where you can decide, do you try to just destroy it as quickly as possible so you don't have to fight the damn thing? Or do you try to just take out the master and take the amulet as fast as possible to try to claim it for yourself? Well, that, obviously you try to, to claim it yourself. But then that creates a kind of interesting secondary objective in the combat because you have to survive the thing and the magic user, and the magic user is going to live twice as long in the fight because the shield guardian is there to absorb half of that damage. And if you do ignore it, then the shield guardian is going to keep regenerating its own health to keep it and the master alive. It might well have that additional healing spell saved in it. I mean, hell, actually, it could have a fourth level or lower, you could have a revivify stored in a shield guardian. Like, that versatility of the spell storing is real goddamn interesting, honestly. The fact that it can just be whatever spell of fourth level or lower, a spell can still have a massive effect on a field of battle. Whether that is a heal, a revivify, a fireball, there's a lot of spells that would be a good option to just have this thing unleash in combat. And again, the sheer flexibility of a shield guardian is a part of what makes it so interesting a creature to me and does separate it 
a lot from other you know normal types of golems because this is the thing that i really also wish would just appear more in a D world because it was specifically mentioned in the description that you know powerful magic users might sell these at exorbitant prices to other individuals in the world so imagine if you are just fighting some kind of crime lords in some you know underground lair but then you find out that they have a shield guardian that just will take half of their damage to just keep them alive for twice as long as usual in addition to whatever other you know mooks they might have trying to help keep them alive so i have complained at length in the past about how boss fights don't work very well in fifth edition because of the action economy and how quick it is for just a you know big bad evil guy to get taken down by a competent party of adventurers but if you do have a shield guardian that gives them effectively double the hit points and it gives them a bodyguard that you do that cannot betray them a bodyguard that can just soak up all kinds of damage that can have that emergency spell so another great option for that fourth level spell come to think of it dimension door so you could have a shield guardian with dimension door and that does allow you to take one willing creature with you in the teleportation so if you have the shield guardian just grab its master and get the fuck out that is a fantastic way to have a recurring villain just have a means of escape by rules as written by just having a shield guardian with dimension door to get them out of there it makes it really fucking hard to actually manage to trap them and to get that fight to the death to try to finish them off so a shield guardian is amazingly versatile as a guardian it lives up to the damn name like you can have good guys with a shield guardian you can have villains with a shield guardian you could have nobles with a shield guardian like maybe you even have like we joked in the golems episode that you might have a child just with a snow golem you know frosty the snowman situation but maybe you do just have a child that just found a pretty necklace and because a shield guardian will just track down whoever wears the amulet then you could just have the shield guardian from across the damn world that's just going in an unerring line directly to this just unknowing child and that could actually be a kind of interesting just random street encounter to me so imagine if you do just have a, you know a party just traveling down a road somewhere just traveling anywhere really and then all of a sudden you just have this large sized construct just you know diagonally cross the road and it is just running its full speed just in an unerring straight line and you just describe that to your party they might decide to try to chase after it, trying to figure out what's going on they might try to see if it's running from something that the party might never decide to actually chase the thing like they it might just be well that was a weird thing that happened that day i wonder what that was about i don't know oh well keep on going but it's the kind of thing that just can be in the world just existing it can just be there doing things guarding people and again unlike the golems that we talked about on tuesday having a shield guardian is designed to guard a person because again it does have to be within 60 feet to do that damage absorption so it can't be particularly far away from its master and speaking of the master i do want to tangent a bit to actually talk about the amulet 
because this is a kind of interesting situation in that they do actually have the master's amulet as an existing magic item in D&D Beyond with, you know, the full data to it. So it is a rare, wondrous item, no attunement, which is interesting. But uh, every Shield Guardian has a magical amulet attuned to it. Uh, the Shield Guardian can only have one corresponding amulet, yada, yada, yada. Uh, takes a week and a thousand gold to make a new one. Uh, a Shield Guardian's solitary focus is to protect the amulet's wearer. Uh, the wearer can command the Guardian. Yeah, so it's the exact same stuff that I read before, and it's just written in the description of the actual magic item. Now, what is interesting is that they actually introduced a new version of it in Icewind Dale, Rime of the Frostmaiden, which is called a Shield Guardian amulet instead of just the Master's amulet. Now, this is still a rare wondrous item, but now it does require attunement by a humanoid for this version. So now it actually gets a little bit more description as to what it looks like. A four-inch wide disc composed of silver-framed wood with a rune carved into its face. A, dis a detect magic spell reveals a magical aura of enchantment around the amulet. And then it just mostly goes into the same description, yada, 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 yada. But then there's an additional paragraph at the bottom where they mention a humanoid that attunes to the amulet knows the distance and the direction of the shield guardian, provided the amulet and guardian are on the same plane of existence. As an action, the amulet's attunware can try to reactivate the shield guardian, doing so with a DC 20 arcana check. Reactivation can only be attempted while the amulet and guardian are within 10 feet of each other. So because that was from an adventure, they introduced this additional rule of needing an arcana check to try to reactivate an incapacitated shield guard. So, as a DM, it is 100% up to you to decide which version of the amulet you want to exist in your world, to have both exist and just have different options available, just depending on different crafters of guardians. So, in everything that I read, though, do you notice something that is missing for the shield guardian in comparison to golems? At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Sorry, can you repeat the question? <laughs> All right. So do you notice something missing in the descriptions of shield guardians compared to golems? No. So the golems have the manual of golems that talk about the costs needed to make one. The shield guardian explicitly does not. There is, there is literally in the description that they are made by wizards and other spellcasters but there is nothing about how to make one or how expensive it is to make one or any kind of actual usable information as to 
how to introduce these things in your world, which pisses me the fuck off. I am very much irked that there isn't any kind of description about it. Now, that being said, we do have the manual of golems that exists talking about all of them. So honestly, just my opinion would be to keep it relatively simple and that if you want to make shield guardians be something that can be made by individuals in your world, that you can just adapt the manual of golems and then just say something along the lines of, okay, yeah, so a shield guardian is not quite as tanky as an iron golem, but it does have regeneration and it does have the whole damage absorption thing. So how would you compare a shield guardian to like an iron golem or a stone golem or just the other types that exist? And there isn't a really perfect answer for that. But honestly, if you as a DM wanted to just make it the most expensive and make it that 100,000 gold plus needing a manual or just whatever the case may be, it is, as always, up to a dungeon master to make that decision. But, like, for the sake of argument, let's say that you do just say, okay, it's 100,000 to make it, and you also need to have a manual of shield guardian, you know, just like the gold. So let's say that you're doing that, so 120,000 then to practically make one. Are you able to see any kind of problem with that in terms of world building? Mm, no. <laughs> so, by the original rules as written with the normal version of the amulet, it does not require attunement. So there is technically nothing against rules as written. If you had the gold and the time to make five shield guardians and just wear just a whole lot of bling around your neck, and then you just have five of these that guard you at all times that might be able to use their reactions to give you the plus two AC for, you know, five attacks per round because they can just each use it, you know, for a single attack. They can each have a spell stored to help protect you. It gets ridiculous real fucking quick. Yeah, because you're normally, what, three attunements or whatever? Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. But also just the fact that that would mean then you have five creatures with 17 AC and 142 hit points that are just surrounding this magic user. That's oh. a lot of meat shields. Well, not meat, but you know what I mean. That's a lot of protection around you. And again, all that it takes really would be just a minimum amount of magical power to be able to make them if you're using golem rules. But then if you have that amount of gold, again, let's say you have a party where just every single person in the party has a shield guardian. So every single member of the party takes half damage from everything. You have these five large constructs to just be a wall in front of the party to just soak up any kinds of attacks. The shield guardians do get regeneration to be able to help them stay up for that much longer. If you have a five-party, a five you know, five-member adventuring party with five shield guardians, that is a ridiculous 
ridiculous force multiplier. Because again, a single shield guardian is a CR7 creature. So, in theory, the equal of a level 7 party. So, if you did have five shield guardians with a bunch of level like 12 adventurers, that is a massive, massive difference. And also, of course, action economy, with them having multi-attack, five shield guardians would be 10 extra attacks per round, not to mention the stored spells to have a massive amount of emergency healing or utility or what have you. It gets fucking nuts real goddamn quick. So, just because I find it to be interesting, does the fact that it is a CR7 creature just stick out to you at all for high magic worlds? Honestly, it seems a little low for, you know, what it could be. Maybe. But, honestly, my brain just goes in a total different direction. How familiar are you with the spell True Polymorph? Uh, can't you, like, turn people into dinosaurs and shit with that? <laughs> Actually, can't, can. can't you turn things into things? Like... All, you can do that. But there's the third one that you're missing, which is the relevant one here. Object into creature. So, first things first, True Polymorph is a ninth level spell. So, this is definitely something that would not be available in every D&D world, but if it was, it gets hilariously silly. So, true polymorph, object into creature. You can turn an object into any kind of creature as long as the creature's size is no larger than the object and the creature's challenge rating is 9 or lower. What did I just say the Shield Guardian CR was? Uh, 7. 7. So, you could use true polymorph to make a Shield Guardian every single day using your ninth level spell slot if you are a high-level bard, warlock, or wizard. So every day, you could just make a shield guardian with your ninth-level spell slot. That comes with all abilities and stuff? Yeah, because that spell just creates the creature with pretty much no limitations. It's, It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, it, it's such a it's such a weird thing to think about. So again, considering the costs and the time with normal types of golems and such, it it just goes out the window when you do consider you know high magic and the possibility of a, a true polymorph. Because again, all that you'd need to do then you could make the shield guardian, and then you would still need to take you know the week and the thousand gold to make the master's amulet. But again, if you can cast True Polymorph, the resources of that are pretty insignificant to you, especially if you consider that you could probably sell a single Shield Guardian for 250,000 gold pretty easily, considering how useful they are to individuals. So if you just sold one and then just kept the other 364 for your own use, it, it gets insane so very quickly. And all of that is technically legal by rules as written. Is that silly and world-breaking? Yes. But it's still, everything that I just said is doable by rules as written. Which is just 
silly. Like, there is so much of, like, high magic in D&D that just absolutely will break a world. And Shield Guardian and True Polymorph is one of those combos that is just a fun thing to think about. So that's all the rules as written. So putting that behind us for the moment, what would be some interesting things that you might do to homebrew a Shield Guardian? Hmm. Having never homebrewed anything. Mm-hmm. So just think of it the angle of, hey, that would be neat. I'd want a stronger one if I'm homebrewing stuff. Absolutely. Now, if I were a min-maxing asshole, I would make just a slightly stronger version just to get to that CR9. That would just be a dick move, because that is purely me trying to take advantage of true polymorph. But... There's not technically anything wrong with that if that's the kind of world that you're playing in. And again, I am a big fan of high magic just for my own sake. On the other hand, having a massively more powerful shield guardian to make a version comparable to the Iron Golem or even better would definitely be a possibility. Because if you wanted to really have like some kind of big bad evil guy with something like a greater shield guardian, Give it more AC, more hit points. Give it some kind of breath weapon like the Iron Golem has. Like That would definitely just be easily doable to just kind of copy-paste some of the better abilities of the Iron Golem onto the Shield Guardian. And then also just make it so that, let's say that you have a higher level spell able to be stored. So maybe instead of up to 4th level, you can have up to 6th level. And then you can have a Shield Guardian that can blow out a goddamn disintegrate in the right circumstances. That would be fucking terrifying. So just having a stronger shield guardian would be a relatively easy thing to homebrew and, again, would massively help in a boss fight. Or maybe even could have like a real special thing, like maybe its shield can also be done for conditions, like a kind of legendary reaction, but for the sake of the person bound to it. Like, making a legendary shield guardian that has, like, legendary actions would be really, really goddamn scary. Especially if you do consider that it would still be bound to a master. Like, that, man, that's just a fun thing to think about. Another option, of course, would be, like, the shield guardian is a single stat block. This is that a version of Construct that, by rules as written, does not have multiple versions like golems do it is just the singular shield guardian now if you do consider a high magic DD world there's a lot of races out there with different design philosophies so imagine that there might be differences between the shield guardian made by dwarves or elves for example so imagine if you did have a shield guardian made by elves that might instead be made out of mithril and you actually do give it like a mithril rapier and make it like a dexterity based construct. So you have this really high speed, high AC with dexterity bonus, and then just the ability to just flit across the battlefield, dealing a lot of damage very quickly. And you can have that kind of more mobile type of fighter. So that isn't based quite as purely defensive as the standard shield guardian. 
On the other hand, maybe you might have a dwarf shield guardian that just leans even more into the defense side of things. Because one irony of the shield guardian is that it doesn't actually have any equipment like a shield. It has the ability to shield its master, but it doesn't actually have a shield. So imagine a dwarven shield guardian, adamantine plated, so you do, like we talked about in the golems episode, give it that immunity to critical hits, give it an actual shield, hell, give it a magic shield, considering the costs involved. Like, if you can afford to make a shield guardian using golem types of pricing, you can afford to give it some goddamn quality gear. So imagine if you do just give the shield guardian like a shield plus two, which will give it a four additional AC stacked on top of its natural armor. Animated shield. Yeah, fuck it. Give it an animated shield and a two-headed, you know, a uh, two-handed warhammer or a mole, even better. So, okay, let's... So a shield guardian is a large construct, which would mean a large mole would deal 4d6 bludgeoning damage. So if you did, give it a large maul, but then let's say you even adapt the flame tongue enchantment so that you actually have your maul on fire. So it will also do 2d6 fire damage. So that would be 4d4 bludgeoning plus 2d6 fire damage plus strength modifier with the AC boost of a you know a floating shield going around it. Good gear makes these things even more terrifyingly dangerous. And that is something that should be within the budget of someone who is able to just make this, you know, not by the true polymorph method, that this should be doable. So having gear on a minion like this just gets real scary real fast. Not to mention you could have, you know, something like uh uh, amulet of protect or a cloak of protection rather something that gives it you know plus one ac plus one to saving throws because honestly the biggest weakness to a shield guardian is the fact that it's not necessarily great at saving throws it doesn't have proficiency with any saving throws so having a magic item to shore that up a little bit would definitely help i mean hell if you really wanted to go you know full-on making a legendary shield guardian bump up its regeneration to 20. You know, give it that higher-end regeneration. Because that gets terrifying. Imagine, actually, another good strategy, then, if you have a shield guardian that is just give it one of the spells that lets it turtle up a bit, you know, global of invulnerability or some such, and then you just have it turtle up to just get all of its health back because it is just able to avoid attacks for some small amount of time, Good strategy can really just make a shield guardian just go from good to great very, very, very easily. And that just sheer flexibility of that is just so much fun to consider. Uh, before we do wrap up, I do just need to clarify one point, which is in the spell soaring aspect of shield guardian. Because this is a question that I have seen and been asked a lot which is the phrasing of spell storing can be a little bit confusing because it mentions that uh, when commanded to do so or when a situation arises that was predetermined, the guardian casts the stored spell with any parameters set by the original caster requiring no components. So 
what would you say is the action required to cast that stored spell? Uh, action on like the character's part or the uh, guardian's part? Character's just gotta be like, hey, do this, and then it does it, right? Like, so does that mean that when the caster commands it, it happens immediately? Like, does it have to use this reaction to do that? Like, again, the phrasing of this has confused many a player and DM. So, unfortunately, it does have a solid answer. It's just a particularly poorly phrased ability. So, it mentions that it will be commanded to do the thing, and then it will cast the stored spell with any parameters set by the original caster. So, cast a spell is an action. So that would mean then that it so even after it is commanded, the shield guardian is not able to cast it until it is actually the shield guardian's turn. And then it will still have to cast the spell using the normal casting time, action, whatever to cast the spell. What is interesting, though, is that it does not require any components. So it does not actually have to say anything. It does not need any material component at that point. What if it's but a reaction it, spell or a bonus action? Then on its turn, it would be a bonus action or it would be immediate by using its reaction at that point. So having a reaction spell have something like Hellish Rebuke, that wouldn't be a bad idea. I was literally going to ask, like, <laughs> I, I fucking love Hellish Rebuke. It's a great fucking spell. Like, Honestly, most people just think about it for the tiefling racial ability, but honestly, the spell itself is real, real solid still. But again, so shield guardians are massively flexible. The fact that it is whoever has the amulet is magically linked to it and can be protected by the guardian means that this is something that dungeon masters should really think about including more in their world because in a especially in a medium to high magic world, this is the kind of thing that should be used by any individual that has the power or money to use such, probably should. And that really does make for an interesting aspect of world building. Thanks for listening to this episode of Riffs and Rules. Please leave us a review and give us five stars on iTunes. Also, support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Tiers start as low as a dollar, and even that much really helps us out. Supporters get benefits such as behind-the-scenes content, early access to episodes, access to a monthly hangout where you'll be able to chat with the cast, and even input on Rifts and Rules topics. Find us on social media on Twitter at Riftwake Podcast, on Facebook as Riftwake, and you can send us an email, riftsandrules at gmail.com. That's riftsandrules at gmail.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. 
I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.